Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, a history of the Thirty Years' War. Happy New Year, and I hope you had a good holiday season. Here's hoping 2021 is better than last year. And last time, we talked about the Habsburg War Front and their effort to gather allies, which was more successful and showed that there was much more unity compared to the Protestants. But before we get to the regular episode, I have to do a biography. We talked about it last time, but today we're covering Johann de Sercles, Count of Tilly, or as we will call him in this podcast, Tilly. He was born on February 1559 in Castle Tilly into the Brabantine family. He was raised Catholic with a standard Jesuit education, as was common among a lot of the other Catholic nobility that I talked about earlier. When he was 15, he joined the Spanish army, and he fought against the Dutch in the Eighty Years' War, particularly being involved in the Siege of Antwerp in 1585. After that, he joined the HRE's war against the Ottomans as a mercenary, and became a well-known and well-respected field marshal after about five years of involvement in that war. The war ended in 1606, at least for the part he was involved in. After that, he mostly, you know, operated as nobility and operated as an army commander. And in 1610, he became the official commander of the Catholic League under Maximilian, who we mentioned earlier, respected him and let him actually run the army. Let's just say that he will become an important military leader in the upcoming years of the war. He's not done just yet. So, as I mentioned last time, Maximilian was prepared to march into Bohemia, and Ferdinand and the other allies of the Imperial Army had a plan. The battle plan involved six armies acting at once. Bukoy, who was sent against Anhalt with around 21,000 men in order to get him out of Lower Austria, and he left around 5,000 men behind in Vienna to guard it due to the fact that it had been besieged three times in the war so far. Maximilian was to advance into Bohemia with around the same amount of men and left about 8,000 to guard the frontier of Upper Palatinate from reprisals from other Protestants in the Protestant Union. And lastly, Spain invaded Lower Palatinate, forcing the Saxons to attack Lusatia. Lower Austria was already disillusioned by the lack of success of the rebels, and Ferdinand created more division among them by saying he would respect religious privileges of nobles and knights who paid homage. This had the benefit of bringing many lords, knights, and towns to Ferdinand's side due to them realizing it's a better deal than if they just kept fighting and dealing with a really bad surrender treaty or treatment after the war. And as imperial forces came into Upper Austria after they cleared out Lower Austria, a good chunk of the moderate rebels, aka moderate Protestants, they either fled or surrendered to imperial forces with as many as 4,000 of them joining the Imperial armies, which was a blow against the rebels and a boon to the Imperials. Some of the regiments stayed with Anhalt, but he was forced to retreat back to Bohemia with less forces than he arrived with, without even fighting a single battle. This offensive took two provinces for the Imperials, which the rebels could never recover, which would be a blow to their overall war effort, although it would be over pretty soon for them anyways. Part of the forces of Anhalt and the rebels were gathered to also try to counter Spain on the Rhine River with around 21,000 troops in that area. But the leader of that force, a noble by the name of Ansbach, was reluctant to fight and was waiting on British mediation in order to stop this rebellion. The funny thing is, he had numerically superior forces, but he was still cautious and didn't want to get involved in a fight. That could have been a boon to the rebels, but unfortunately, he didn't have the will to fight. The Spanish forces, led by Luis de, de Velasco, amounted to around 19,000 men, and they kept the Dutch forces from assisting Bohemia by threatening Flanders, which is northeastern France and was a part of the Spanish Netherlands, or sort of. It's, it's a whole thing. Another Spanish commander, Spinola, advanced into the rebels' territory west of the Rhine, taking Alzi and Kazunak, but was slow down due to concerns of a large Dutch force assisting the rebels due to the truce with the Dutch expiring in a couple months. So he was worried about his backlines being attacked. 
His troops were also too tired to maintain long-term sieges, so he sort of couldn't advance further into, well, over the Rhine, should I say. The Dutch saw the winter coming, and let down with the Protestant Union's leadership, they basically went home. They saw no victory in this fight. On the Saxon front, they saw that the mediated peace wasn't going to happen, so they advanced into Lusatia, taking the west part of it quickly, in spite of the officers of the Saxons not really wanting to fight. George was in a insecure position, and he needed a military victory to secure his position of leadership. Because if he lost, he could lose a lot of his power and influence. So he came in with around 12,000 men, and his one of his primary commanders, Count Wolfgang von Mansfield, who was a distant cousin to the Mansfield that I had mentioned earlier that's on the Protestant side. That commander ran into the biggest resistance against the Margrave of Jagerndorf, who held the eastern part of Lusatia with around a couple thousand men. There was skirmishing back and forth, but... The last sort of big move of this campaign was Mansfield took the town of Bautzen after it was mostly destroyed by artillery bombardments and the people surrendered due to that. That also spared them from total brutality, and they were able to keep their privileges in return for renouncing their allegiance to the Confederation of Rebels, which was an offer extended to most of Lusatia as well, and most of Lusatia took that offer. It should be noted at this time, the pure religious intensity wasn't as strong as as it would be later. So, there were still more offers of clemency. Jägerndorf, he held out at Gorlitz, in the southeastern part of Lusatia, but by this point, the campaign season was over, and men were settling in for either going home or settling in for waiting till the spring for the next campaign to start. On the other side of the river, or coin, or whatever you want to use, the rebels had been paralyzed by multiple pay mutinies due to them being unable to pay their troops, which inevitably led to Anhalt's extorting the Jews of Prague for money. While this did free up the forces, it did mean that for the time that they couldn't pay, Anhalt wasn't wasn't able to attack the Imperials, and in particular Bakoy, which meant that by the time he could, he was already coming to meet up with Maximilian. Anhalt pulled back from Austria, and he pulled into Moravia thinking that his opponents would be heading that direction through the mountain passes in order to get to Prague. Unfortunately, he didn't realize that Ferdinand had ordered McCoy to join up with Maximilian, and they were headed directly to Prague, further west, which meant that he had to quickly intercept them and face an imperial force that was around... 30,000 or so, especially after they had been reinforced by around 5,000 more men, and forced march them in order to fight that. Anholt had hoped they would attack that way due to his ability to potentially hold that pass and let the national forces that were causing problems within the Imperial Army, meaning low supplies and disease. Uh, in particular, they had an epidemic of typhus or cholera, which was called Hungarian fever, although many of these is like typhus or cholera was constantly scapegoated as the ex-country's disease. Human beings are fun that way. This disease had already claimed around 500 men in the short time period that it had spread, and by the end of 1620, around 12,000 Catholic troops would be killed by it. However, Anhalt was also suffering from internal strife among the military commanders of the rebellion. Anhalt had replaced Thurn as overall commander of the military forces, and Mansfield, aka the one that was in an earlier episode, not the guy I mentioned earlier in this episode, was upset because Hohenlohe was promoted to field marshal, and he refused to cooperate because of that, meaning there wasn't cohesion among the rebel forces. Hohenlohe had tried and failed to distract Maximilian by threatening Bavaria, but Maximilian proceeded to ignore that threat and head right past Tabor, where Anhalt was located, and take Prachatis on September 27th. He then quickly moved to Pilsen through Pesek by October 5th, 
forcing Mansfield to come back in time in order to try to assist and halt in intercepting these forces that were heading to Prague. Mansfield also was having secret talk with Catholic leaders through letters, which might come up later, but for now is not really nothing. However, Maximilian and Bacoy thought it was an attempt to delay them in order for the Protestants to organize themselves, and especially because the Imperial Army was dying of low supplies and cold and disease. So Tilly, Maximilian, and Bacoy needed to march fast in order to secure their position and end this war quickly. Otherwise, they, they could be in trouble. So Tilly did not want to lose momentum. He moved out of Pilsen, despite Coy's worries about that, and he headed to Prague. He left a small force behind to guard Pilsen, and Wallenstein was sent with a small detachment to try to meet the Saxons over the mountain passes. Anhalt then tried to meet those forces by stopping at Rakovnik, which was an important crossroads leading to Prague, and he was joined by Frederick there. Frederick attempted to act as a morale boost, seeing the king there was generally a morale boost to an army, even if Frederick wasn't there to actual command. Frederick convinced them to take another pay delay in order to fight against Bakoy and the rest of the Imperial Army, which meant that Anhalt would not be delayed more by pay delays and pay mutinies and the like. There's a small skirmish around that area on October 27th, which resulted in maximum getting injured, and Bakoy was also seriously injured around November 3rd in another skirmish. So, the Imperial Army was pinned down, but around the 3rd, 4th, 5th, somewhere in that time period, they received a supply train, which was a major boost, and rose morale enough that Tilly used the morning mist and a small unit of musketmen as cover in order to move most of the army out on the 5th, in which they snuck around a ridge and started heading directly to Prague. Anhold realized by that evening, the army had been gone, and he needed to move fast because he knew they were heading to Prague. He again force marches men. For those of you who don't know, force marching is basically men have to keep marching into the night, into long hours, in order to reach an area faster. It has the benefit of getting somewhere faster, but it also causes men to be tired and exhausted, which is not necessarily a good thing for a soldier. It is sometimes necessary, but it does have drawbacks. And on November 7th, he and Tilly met at White Mountain, which was about 8 kilometers or about 5 miles west of Prague. And there, the fateful battle will be fought. However, that will be covered next time. But before we end this week, I just wanted to go on a small tangent. Many of you, if you've heard anything, heard of this brutality in this war. There was a lot of cruelty, looting, pillaging, that sort of deal. The brutality of this war was already becoming apparent by this time period. It wasn't something that escalated over time and got worse and worse. It was already bad as it was. As an example, the Cossacks, which we mentioned earlier, the Cossacks that I mentioned earlier, had been raiding and pillaging without concern and with harsh cruelty, which, in one anecdotal story, included kidnapping a bride after killing the groom post the seizure of, v- the seizure of Vienna. I'm guessing it's the third one. It doesn't specify the source, but most likely the third one. Another example is Frederick, as uh, Ferdinand stated of the Hungarians, the Hungarians had devastated, plundered, and burned everything where they had stayed, and it is said, stripped the people of their, of their last threads, ruined, cut them down, and dragged a number of them as prisoners, subjected them to unheard torture to find money and property, dragged away numerous lads of 12 to 16 years old, and so ill-treated pregnant women and others that many of them were found dead everywhere on the roads. They pulled ropes around men's necks so tight that their eyes popped out of their heads. He also said it, indeed, the enemy has behaved so terribly everywhere that one can almost not remember whether the tyranny was ever heard of from the Turks. Uh, The Turks was a reference to the Ottomans, and some of that probably was political propaganda in order to make them look worse, but he's not entirely wrong. The Hungarians would also probably have been likely looting, raiding, and pillaging without really caring about the people. On the other hand, though, the Catholic League troops and Ferdinand's troops were also terrible to Upper Austria when they were fighting the rebels, which included looting and pillaging Catholic and Protestant churches, 
They also tended to treat Protestants cruelly due to religious hatred, which was encouraged by the priests in the Imperial Army. These people did not treat Protestants that well, and it was easy to see why they would be that way. I will note that Maximilian and other commanders did try to reduce the amount of men that were looting and pillaging and keep these, what we call today, war crimes from happening. But unfortunately, even the best commanders can only control their troops so much. If you had men sitting outside a siege for six months and they broke into a, a castle after they won, there was very little ways to stop a, a large number of men from looting, pillaging, that sort of deal. Abusing citizens, murder, rape, all that sort of deal would have been unpleasant. So I want to thank you for listening. And whether it's you want to think it's yourself, send me an email, whatever you want to do. I just want to get to think of the question of what do you think the biggest issue the rebels had that caused them the most problems? So if you're send me an answer, just think about it yourself. I just want you guys thinking about like what was the biggest issue or the that, that you would say caused problems. Please check out my social media and Patreon. Uh, my email is 3DECOT at gmail.com. Please review, share, spread the word. I will post relevant images on the website. Next time, we will cover the actual Battle of White Mountain due to this episode being a bit of a beast in terms of research. And I'll see you next time at the Battle of White Mountain. <laughs>